0: Thank you, Kenny. I actually just wanna start by acknowledging uh, what an amazing worship team we have here. Uh, you guys are awesome. And uh, it blows me away that, that we have volunteers like that. And Jenny, and if you've heard Tara lead us before, just amazing uh, leaders. And Randy, if you're here, are you here? Our worship pastor is taking the, the taking Sunday to just relax, which he deserves. And I just want you to learn, Could you compliment a sermon like that, like Jenny did sometime? That'd be great. (laughs) Okay, all right. That's what I figured. I just wanted to try. Uh, (laughs) In all seriousness, just amazing. Thank you for your leadership, all. Uh, This is going to make me sound really weird, Um, weirder, thank you, yes. and uh, <laughs> I, may, I may be crossing a line here, but I'm just going to do it anyway. So here goes. So this week, I have, been, I have been thinking all week about what it would be like to build my own coffin, right? That's just weird. Don't, I don't have a death wish. I, I like living. Uh, none of us were meant to die. I'm not that weird. But uh, the teaching team this week, we talked about what would it be like to build your own coffin? And I, I've really been thinking a lot about I even did a little research on YouTube. YouTube's helpful, by the way, uh, for that, uh, DIYcoffin.com. Um, <laughs> I made that up. I don't know if that's real. But uh, we discussed this as a teaching team. We wondered, uh, and there's some people here in here our, our, on our men's ministries team, this would be a great men's ministry event someday, uh, coffins and cold pizza. You know, it just Yeah, that's awful. Okay, anyway, I... <laughs> In all seriousness, I've I've wondered what it would be like to build a coffin. I don't know where I'd put it if I did, uh, but building something like that, like a a coffin with your own two hands, knowing what it represents, knowing what it symbolizes in your life, that's got to change you, right? Because coffins and death, they're they're things we don't really want to think about or talk about unless we absolutely have to, And, and, and I know I don't want to talk about it or plan for it, and yet... There are few things in our lives more certain than death. And the truth is, as as believers, if you're you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, one of our primary responsibilities in a life of faith is to die well. And part of my responsibility as your pastor is to help you do that as best I can. So I got to ask, how are you preparing today to die well? And, and no, I, I wouldn't ask that unless I had to, but I do have to, and I'm glad for that. If you didn't notice, uh, Jenny kind of clued you in in and, and, and the reading of Scripture. Um, this is the end. This is the end of our series. This is the end of Moses. This is how he dies. That's the story we're looking at today. And it's an interesting story because in other instances in, in the Bible, when, when someone dies, a sentence or two about their life will do. But Moses Moses gets an entire chapter of the Bible just about his death. There's something special about it. There's something worth considering. He he dies very, very well. And it's also interesting because Moses' death, though it's the end of Moses, it's not the end of the story. And I don't want us to miss this morning as we consider the death of a truly great man who followed God. I don't want us to miss this, that our end, our death, is not the end. Our end is not the end. And you'll see this principle from different angles throughout Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you haven't turned there yet, you can do that now. Deuteronomy 34. And as you're turning there, as we, as we approach the story, keep in mind that Moses right now is 120 years old. He spent, his life kind of breaks down nicely into thirds. He spent 40 years in the, in, in the palaces of Egypt as a prince of the most powerful nation on the planet. He spent the next 40 years in midian basically as a shepherd the middle of nowhere and then he spent these last 40 years of his life leading god's people in the desert and one day and that's really where our story begins he goes off on a hike by himself so let's if you if you if you're open let's start reading in verse 1 then moses went up from the plains of moab to mount nebo to the top of pisgah which is opposite jericho and the lord showed him all the land gilead as far as dan all of naphtali the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Stop there for a second. So Moses climbs this mountain, Mount Nebo in the Pisgah Mountains, which is over 4,500 feet, which for a 120-year-old is, is pretty impressive. And no, that was not the cause of death. But he gets to the top, and, and the, the picture here is that God shows him all of the promised land. North to south, east to west, all of the promised land. And God says to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give this to your offspring. And and I just wanted to see, this is likely uh, something what Moses saw. This is a modern day picture uh, from Mount Nebo. And the text says that Moses could see everything in the land. And you kind of get a picture of it there. For 40 years, his life has been oriented toward getting Israel to this border, to this mountain, to cross over into Canaan, a promised land. God's promise is so close, he can almost reach out and touch it. And after all he's been through, I mean, think about it. Surviving a genocide as an infant, confronting the king of Egypt with his life on the line, crossing the Red Sea, bringing this band of slaves through 40 years of whining. All of it. The heartache, the disappointment, the exhaustion. And yet before him is the fulfillment of all of it, the validation, the confirmation of his work, the promised land. And in just a few days, he could go in with Israel. He could set foot on this land he's been thinking about for 40 years, but he won't. He won't. Look at verse four. God says, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And it's like of all people, why does Moses miss out on this moment? He's 120 years old. God could not give him three more days, four more days to make it into the land. Why is this happening? Well, to understand you've got to go back to another story. Numbers chapter 20, don't turn there, I'll I'll tell you what happens. In Numbers 20, uh, Moses is leading Israel still. The people are complaining again, which is shocking, I know. They're out of water, and they're thirsty, and God commands Moses. He says, speak to the rock, and water will come out. So Moses strikes the rock twice with his staff. Water comes out, and then God says this to Moses after that, because you did not believe me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given to them. That's in Numbers 20. There's a lot of debate. It's a confusing story. There's a lot of debate around what exactly Moses did wrong here. Did he strike the rock when he was supposed to speak to it and, and God's upset? That seems a little nitpicky to me. More likely to me is that Moses seems to want the credit for providing water. He strikes the rock, he makes his own role more prominent in how that happens, and he says to the congregation before he strikes the rock, he says, shall we, and that is Aaron and Moses, who are up in front of everyone, he says, shall we bring water for you from this rock? Not shall God, but shall we? He puts himself in God's place as a provider, even for just a moment, just a second, and God basically says, Moses, there is a consequence for that. You, know, you of all people, Moses, know better than to do that. You will not go into the land. So fast forward to Mount Nebo. God's reminding Moses, this is the end for you. This is it. You're not going in. Now, there's a warning in this story, to be sure, and I, and I don't want us to miss it. There is a warning. If Moses can screw up, then so can you. Few of us have the faith of Moses, I assure you. This guy has been through, he's seen it all for 40 years. Think of the things Moses has seen and done with God. You are never so mature in your faith, you are never so mature in your life that you are safe from falling, from from making a mistake and from real consequences in your life, like Moses' faces here. And I don't mean to pick on older folks here, but this tends to be a trap that comes with age. When you're young, you don't listen because you don't know any better. And when you're older, you don't listen because you think you know better. Been there, done that. I know what I'm doing. I'm good at this. I've got this. Nothing to worry about here. And I want, I want us all to hear that warning this morning. But more importantly, and I think this is the real point, there's also a promise here. And it's this. Our mistakes are not the end of the story. Our mistakes aren't the end of the story. And again, I think this is the real point. God uses messy, broken people all the time to do amazing things. Moses is a better man than I am. I have no doubt about it. But he is still an absolute mess. He's a mess. He's a murderer. Do you remember that? He kills a man in Egypt. He had no faith in God at the burning bush. He said, send anyone but me. And he bungles it completely here at the end when he should have known better. He has no reason to be confused about that. He's a mess. And Israel is a mess. Read Exodus and, and Numbers. They're a train wreck. It never gets better. They never realize their full potential as a nation. They never fully trust God. Never. But God uses messy people. And our mistakes when we trust in God's salvation as Moses does here does not have to define our life. Which is good news because no matter how close to death you are right now and none of us know that but no matter what, you're a mess too. We're all a mess. And you know it. You know you're a mess. And if you don't believe me when I say that there's, a, there's an easy trick you can use for the rest of your life that will always remind you what a mess you are and it's this. Think about yourself five years ago. That person's an idiot, right? (laughs) In five years, that is what you will say about you right now, okay? We are all a mess, but God wants to use you. There's a freedom in that. God can and does do amazing things in our midst, sometimes despite us and sometimes through us. Our mistakes are not the end of the story, and they weren't the end of Moses' story. And Moses, for all of his flaws, he understood that He's not perfect, he's not God, but but his reaction blows me away. If if I were him, I would be so angry at God for doing this to me. Of all the people, right, if anyone deserves to go into the promised land, it's Moses, but Moses understood something about dying well, that his mistakes did not have to be his legacy moving forward. And here's how I would summarize the idea. He, He knew this, dying well means repenting. Dying well means repenting, constantly, all of our days, repenting. And I don't just mean, when I say repentance, I don't just mean saying sorry to God and to other people when you make a mistake. Anyone can do that. I mean saying sorry and then trusting God with the consequences of what you've done. Moses makes a mistake in Numbers 20. He really does. It's a big mistake, and he could have let that define His relationship with God from that moment on in anger, in bitterness, in complaint. But he doesn't do that. He continues to practice daily obedience. He continues to lead God's people all the way to Canaan even though he knows he he will not go in. And he climbs a mountain and he dies in God's timing because Moses knows that his failure is not the end of the story. And that with God, there is always forgiveness. That is repentance. Repentance. Ending well does not mean living a perfect life. Hear me. It it does not mean living a perfect life. The best deaths I have ever witnessed were not from people who thought that they were perfect. Those are often the worst deaths. The best deaths are people who have repented their whole lives and they point their family and their friends and anyone who surround them in their last days to the holy and perfect God who forgives And when you understand that, you begin to realize, as Moses did, that our mistakes are not the end. They don't have to define us. God's forgiveness and God's faithfulness can define you if you let it, if you repent. But that's not the end of the story. So look back at verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him, God buried him, in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now think this through with me for just a minute, okay? It's all very nice what's said here about Moses. It's great. But doesn't it feel like the author is kind of moving us on from Moses a little too quickly here? To be sure, Moses, like I said, he gets a whole chapter about his death, which is a lot. But this, this guy has been God's main instrument and prophet for three books of the Bible, right? The only person who's got more is Jesus and he's got four, Okay, I, I, yeah, I, can, I did the math this week. It was impressive. But <laughs> the transition away from Moses to Joshua here seems really easy, simple, smooth. There's a, there's a joke around here at Christ Community that when you go on sabbatical as a pastor, you want the church to do well but not too well <laughs> while you're gone you know what I mean? Should Moses feel the same way? Should we feel that for him? And and this is the second thing we learn when we approach our own death, and here it is. It's that our lives are not the end of the story. Our lives. God is perfectly, here's what I mean, God is perfectly capable of getting his work done without you or me. And your life accomplishments and your accolades, I'm sure that they are great, but losing you does not stop God. And if you read the whole Bible, this is the pattern. We die. God's plan does not. It moves on. And this is not to say that our lives don't matter. Our lives matter a great deal. Clearly, Moses' life mattered a great deal, but God is more than prepared when our lives end. And you get the sense that Moses is totally okay with that. One commentator pointed out that of all the descriptions that could have been said of Moses at the end of his life, of all the phrases you could have put on his tombstone, Moses the leader, Moses the prophet, Moses the miracle worker, the prince, the one that stuck is in verse four, Moses the servant of the Lord. Moses was a servant to a much larger story that God was telling and that helped him Die well. And the proof is right here, okay? If you've got a Bible in your hand, look at how much Bible is left after Moses. God is still working. He is the main character, not Moses. God has many, many, many more chapters without you and without me. Our lives are not the center of this story. It's much bigger than we are. Our lives are not the end of what God is doing in the world or even in the lives of our loved ones that we leave behind, So dying well means learning to number our days. That's a biblical phrase. I'll explain it. It means learning to number our days. Dying well means acknowledging and living in light of the inevitability of our own death and accepting that God's plan is much bigger than we are. Now, I am not saying that death is good because death is not good. The Bible is abundantly clear that death is not a part of God's original plan, his original design, but in this chapter of the story, the one that you and I are living in right now, death is inevitable. It is. And that's why Moses teaches us, he wrote Psalm 90, in verse 12 of Psalm 90, Moses says, So teach us, Lord, to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. And this is a constant refrain throughout the Bible, teach us to number our days. And this is gonna sound really morbid, but it's true. We all have a day that we are going to die. It's set, it's determined. And for some of you, you don't need me to tell you that. You know that, you feel that. You feel it in your life right now. But for those of us, and I include myself here, who are perhaps a bit younger or have enjoyed good health for most of their lives, we forget that so quickly. So I'm gonna make this as tangible for us as I possibly can. We all have an invisible number over our heads. You can't see it, I can't see it, but it's there. And the numbers are not going up. They're going down. Tick, tick, tick every day. And we live in a world and in a time and in a place that works very hard to convince you that if you have the money and you have the access to good doctors and you have the cutting edge technology that your days can be innumerable and that the hospital and the pharmacy down the street, they can be your salvation, but blind faith in technology will not give you a wise life and it will not give you a good death. And I know that saying that is easy and living that is very hard. Especially when we shift the focus from our own death to the death of a loved one who, from our perspective, was taken too soon. I understand that. The point that I'm making here, the text is making it may not be as comforting in that regard. I promise it will get there. But don't miss this, because the key to a good life and a good death is not in pursuing technological and medical immortality. It's not found in having perfect health all the time. It is not found in shutting our eyes and our ears to the reality of death that is around us all the time, a good death is found in embracing the time that God has given to you. Teach me, God, to number my days, to make the most of them, and to submit to your plan, which is much bigger than my life. And thank God it's bigger than my life, because my days are numbered, but his are not. on a very practical level, that means at least two things that we find in this text. And and the first thing it means is being okay not accomplishing great things. And I I do this very intentionally, these air quotes, great things, things that we think are great. It's a little unique with Moses because part of this was a punishment for him, but don't miss this. He died with his greatest accomplishment unfinished, getting Israel to the promised land, But regardless, he knew his days were numbered and that God had numbered them and that he could trust that. You see, numbering our days includes letting God's plan of success for your life define you and not your plan. You may leave work unfinished. You may not accomplish all that you want. Your family may not be in that perfect place that you want them to be before you pass away. The great things you wanted to do and be and be remembered for, we've gotta learn to let those things go. Because God defines the number of our days and we have to be okay with that. We just do. And there's another practical implication here. If, if we know God's plan is bigger than we are and that our days are numbered, we should be investing in the generation to come. It's very clear in this story. Moses had Joshua. Okay, who do you have? Who do I have? Are you preparing them now for when you won't be here? And just to get our imagination going, okay, how are you investing in your own children, if you have children, to grow up to be people of faith and who recognize they are part of God's big story? How are you preparing your siblings, if you're younger and you have siblings, and modeling to them now what a life of faith looks like? How are you preparing and training and encouraging people in your workplace to grow in their capacity and ability and to think about their work as a common good for all? How are you getting to know Young people here in the church, maybe they aren't your kids, but you're speaking into their lives and their questions and their struggles. You see, Joshua was not built in a day. This is an investment. It takes intentionality and time. You see, when, you're, when you know your days are numbered, it reminds you, it reminds me that one of our primary jobs is a human being. No less a follower of Jesus. It's not accomplishing great things. That may happen, It may not happen. It's telling a new generation of his faithfulness and handing off the baton of faith when you die. The greatest thing you may accomplish in your life is investing in another person. The Bible is full of people who are only known as the physical or spiritual ancestor of someone else, but God includes their names in his Bible because they were faithful in their part. That's the goal. We can die well knowing that. And thank God our lives are not the end of the story. They're not big enough. And thank God our death is not the end of the story. And this is our last point. Look back at Deuteronomy 34. We've been, I think for good reason, focusing on the more morbid parts of this story. Uh, and we should, but I don't want us to miss the tenderness of the story because If you're like me, you could read this story as a sad story if you want. Moses dies in Moab. In other words, not the promised land. Every other major patriarch, leader in the Old Testament is buried in the promised land. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Even Joseph's bones are taken from Egypt to Canaan, but not Moses. He dies in a foreign land with no grave for people to come out and honor him, and no ceremony to say goodbye. He is not surrounded by family and friends who love him when he passes on. And my cynical side sees that and thinks, well, Moses is just totally replaceable for God. Moses is done, Joshua's in, let's keep going. But the details of this story, they tell me otherwise. And Moses, to be sure, is just a small part of God's plan. He really is. And Moses is okay with that. But I want us to take comfort in this. He was not replaceable as a friend of God. He was not alone when he died. The picture here is actually quite touching. Moses is this 120-year-old man. He's climbing a mountain, one last mountain. You think about his life and how many mountains are in his life and his story. He climbs one last mountain with his best friend, in the picture here, it's like God is standing with him there until the end, talking to him, with him, present with him. And when Moses passes, God himself buries him. No one else knows where Moses was buried except for God. And I'm convinced that part of the reason Moses goes so peacefully and why God himself buries him is because God knows someday I'm going to raise him up. He's showing us that death is not the end of the story. This whole series, right, this whole story of Moses is about deliverance. Deliverance from Egypt, from slavery, from sin. And here we see that God is planning another deliverance. It's a deliverance that Moses did not see, but I I think he trusted. You see, the text goes on to say that there's never a prophet again like Moses. That's kind of his last word about Moses. But even Moses could not deliver the people from death. Because to die well You need a deliverer. You need a deliverer. And there is a deliverer. And Moses preaches about him before he died in Deuteronomy 18. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And it is to him you shall listen. The Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And just like Moses, this deliverer will climb a mountain, not simply to see God's promises, but to fulfill them, every one of them. And he'll climb a mountain not to die peacefully with God the Father by his side, but to die a criminal's death, a violent death, completely cut off from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that Moses and Israel And all the generations who would follow them in faith like us and all who put their trust in him might be delivered from death itself because death is not the end of the story. Not really, not ultimately. And like Moses, Jesus was buried, but he did not stay dead. He now lives with us and will walk through death alongside us. Our end, our death is not the end. It is in Christ just the beginning of another story. A story without pain and without loss and heartache and disappointment and sin and failure and all the things that are a part of our story right now. It's a story much larger and grander and more beautiful than we can now imagine where every chapter, as C.S. Lewis said, is better than the last. Where every tear is wiped away and we are with Christ face to face without shame. And no other story I know offers a better death than that. What I want us to do now is, we need more silence in our lives, so I wanna just take a minute and be silent together. And I want us to reflect on two things. Meditate on the reality of death, how that changes the way we have to live and on the reality and the promise of the resurrection and how that changes the way we die. How's God asking you to respond? Bow your heads in silence with me. Father, we entrust these meditations of our heart to you. May they bear fruit in our lives this week. May you bless them. And Father, teach us above all things today to number our days. Not because we're afraid or because we have regret, but because we have hope. We have hope in the one who comes to deliver us. And we have hope in the one who's bigger than our mistakes. We have hope in the one who promises to come again and free us, deliver us from death. We pray this in his name, amen.